You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Thanks for joining us. Eric Jasob here. Excited to be with 2015 fellow Alyssa Gold, who's going to give us the inside scoop on all political happenings in the city. Excited to chat with her. Thanks for listening to The Zag. Let's get to it. All right, Alyssa, we were just talking about the Miracle Mile Dems. Uh, you're officially the founder, right? Co-founder, yes, along with uh, fellow uh, NLC members, uh, Michael Cap and Steve Bott. And then what year did you guys found? Uh, we started in early 2013, right in the midst of the mayor's election uh, that was going on right then. Our uh, initial, the initial issue we started around was the extension of the purple line of the the subway. A lot of the politicians were hearing a lot from Beverly Hills and the rest of the West Side in opposition, but we were a group of people in the area who really supported it, and we felt we needed our own organized voice of support. And what was the closest Dem club to you guys before you formed? There was a uh, West Hollywood Beverly Hills club, uh, which they do a lot of great work in their cities, but that's not for City of Los Angeles. And we'd also uh, been active in Stonewall Democrats, which is for LGBT Democrats. And then for folks that don't know, what exactly is a Democratic club or how does it function in a way that if if someone doesn't know anything about it? It's a group uh, either organized around a particular issue or a particular demographic or, in our case, a particular neighborhood that gets together, holds programs, tries to match, you know, regular activists with opportunities for active for advocacy for campaigning and uh, works to support democratic candidates what was the hardest part about founding it just bringing in more people keeping up the initial interest making ourselves stand out as a small club uh with younger members who all have day jobs and can only do what we can in our spare time yeah and then you guys had a really successful fundraiser so of the folks that you honor can you run down that list real quick Sure. So we had uh, Congressman Keith Ellison, who's the deputy chair of the Democratic National Committee, our vice president of operations, Michael Capp, who is also a Democratic National Committee member, uh, was a big part of Keith Ellison's campaign when he was running for DNC chair. And so uh, helped him, uh, got him to come in to uh, make an appearance at our fundraiser. And we just really felt that he's done such a good job at bringing the Democratic Party together and healing the divisions of the 2016 elections, which is why we were very proud to honor him. Mm-hmm. And then where did things stand in the state party with the divisions after the convention? You know, I the divisions were really sharp for some time. I think it has that that division has gone away with the understanding that it's a. Uh, we're all moving on from it. <laughs> and so I'm sure you could ask this a lot, but when Dems are talking about the 2016 election and then looking forward, do you still feel like it, it splits pretty evenly into two camps with the proxies being Clinton and Bernie? Or do you see uh, even newer camps emerging a third way? What, what kind of things do you see on the ground? I don't think uh, that looking at everything through a Hillary versus Bernie lens uh, tells the full story. For example, during the uh, the chairs race, the California Democratic Party chairs race, there were quite a few who tried to make it out as, you know, an establishment versus a progressive groundswell. Uh, when there were, in fact, plenty of uh, Bernie Sanders supporters who were backing uh, Chairman Eric Bauman and plenty of Hillary Clinton supporters who were backing Kimberly Ellis, uh, 
due to wanting to see a woman in a position of leadership. And then when you think back to the Obama years and how many local races were lost, state races were lost, governorships were lost, what do you think was behind that? What was causing that? I do think that Democrats have had issues in the past really focusing on down ballot, uh, making sure that the enthusiasm for a presidential candidate translates down into Congress, into state legislature races. A couple weeks ago, uh, some of us at Miracle Mile Democrats went down to Vista, California, which is in North San Diego County. It's uh, Daryl Issa's district. Oh, yeah. Okay. Daryl Issa is the richest member of Congress, a proud Republican. His district, Hillary Clinton, won by about eight points but he won his reelection by only 1,500 votes. So if only a few of those Hillary Clinton voters had voted for his opponent, we would have taken back that seat. And in talking to voters down there, we were, uh, this was in the midst of the latest Obamacare repeal, and we were talking to voters to make sure they understood that uh, Daryl Issa voted with Donald Trump 100% of the time and had just voted to repeal their health care. And what we found was a lot of voters who were all gung-ho to fight Donald Trump, but didn't even realize that they had a Republican congressman. Or they knew who Daryl Issa was, but were only vaguely familiar with him. And they were very receptive when we told them that, you know, he's going to, he wants to take away your health care and he supports the Trump agenda. But, you know, we've got a long ways to go with that. So do you think groups like Swing Left or Indivisible is that really making a difference? Do you feel or, or see anything happening, not just in northern San Diego, but statewide or across the country? I think so. I think the renewed focus on the congressional races will do us a lot of good. I do see some of these new groups uh, sprouting up, and I do always want to make sure we're not being duplicative in our efforts, uh, not reinventing the wheel over and over. But I think especially Swing Left is doing really great work, too bring the focus back onto the congressional races and really work to make sure that Democrats don't sit out the 2018 elections. And are you finding people talking already about the governor race in any serious way? Or they're still kind of waiting to see until it gets closer. Sure. I think uh, not everyone is fully decided yet. I think a lot of people are still keeping an open mind, really want to hear more from the candidates, uh, want to see how they're going to approach the issues and, I guess, see who makes it into the top two and whether that is a two Democrat race or whether a Republican does emerge. And then I'm always curious about this. So with the, the Miracle Miles, how does the endorsement process process work for you guys? So we send out a questionnaire uh, to every, in every race that we endorse in, we'll send out a questionnaire to all of the Democratic candidates in, uh, in that race. And then we will interview the ones who respond. And the, our questionnaires are very detailed. We ask about a wide range of issues, and uh, we do not do softball questions. <laughs> so then the uh, executive board will interview the candidates, uh, we'll deliberate among ourselves, and then make a recommendation that will uh, either be affirmed or voted down at our general, by our general membership. And then how spirited do those debates amongst your own members get, or for oh, the very. most part, people? Oh, very spirited. Okay. And... Any races that you remember being particularly spirited in the discussion? We uh, we now had uh, two city council races in uh, America Mile is split between two city council districts, one of which was open in 2015 and the other uh, had a serious challenger this past year. 
And in both of those races, the candidates did display very different styles, very different approaches. And it raised a lot of questions for us. And we we debated both of them very strongly. Nice. When we come back, I'll ask a few more questions about uh, life in the Mid-City area, in the Miracle Mile area. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to The Zag. All right. So what's the actual geographic breakdown of the Miracle Mile area? Sure. So our club, it's we call it the Miracle Mile Democratic Club. It really encompasses much of Mid-City and Mid-City West. So our borders are Melrose to the north. Western to the east, Pico to the south, and San Vicente to the west. And I'm glad you brought up the Purple Line earlier. I was reading, I forget, may forget what source exactly it was, but talking about once Purple Line is done in your part of town, how they need to improve the sidewalk and the walking experience in general. Is that something you would agree with? Or what other things should we be worried about besides just the completion of the subway? The walkability, I, I think Miracle Mile in general is already a fairly walkable area, but there's certain intersections that they need to deal with. Uh, Wilshire and San Vicente, I saw, is one that they're going to take a look at. And that's certainly a very wide intersection with cars going through it very fast that that needs to, uh, the safety of that needs to be improved. Another proposal I've seen is a potential road diet on 6th Street uh, to make it safer for pedestrians and cyclists. I used to, uh, when I lived, uh, when I worked in a job that was within walking distance, I used to walk on that route a lot and cars definitely go way too fast on that street for a residential area. So uh, on road diets, do you feel like that's going to become unfortunately a political non-starter based on what's happened with Bonin and some of his stuff in Playa and Mar Vista? I, I certainly hope not. We do need to, we do need to look very seriously in the city as to how we can make cities safe, streets safer for pedestrians and cyclists as less and less people are, especially, uh, less and less millennials uh, right want to get out of our cars yeah and then in terms of making that a winning political issue do you feel like it's it's the safety piece that ultimately wins the day or it's the idea of the mobility of people through a city rather than just the mobility of cars what do you think wins the day on that i'd like to think it would be the safety issue um i really think that we need more millennials who care about mobility to get involved in these really nitty gritty neighborhood issues. Yeah. You know, I'm on a, I'm on the planning and land use committee of my neighborhood council and uh, I don't see a whole lot of young people coming before us to talk about these issues. What are some of the development debates right now? Do you guys have like houses being flipped and and it's McMansion issues or is it about should we build this apartment complex and it's taller than what's there there's, right now? There's that. There's the taking some of these uh, four unit, four six unit apartment buildings off the market and putting small lot developments in there. Oh sure. Uh, condo conversions. It's it's all of it, and uh, I I consider myself a Yimby. I very strongly I very strongly believe we need much more housing in the city and some people may not get their free parking spot or may not, um, may not have the same view out their window, but I don't think we, that should be the primary consideration at the same time. We can't be displacing people. We can't be unfairly evicting low income tenants, rent controlled tenants. So there's a lot of balances that have to be struck. And these are really difficult conversations that don't lend themselves to sloganeering. What do you like best about the neighborhood council system? 
I do think that when when people in the community do feel like they get a voice, it gets a it gets the projects to a better outcome than just being pushed through the city council and having a contentious hearing. I think uh, it gives the opportunity to say to developers that, you know, we know you can build this project, but we would like to see more streetscaping, more uh, low-income units, more of everything. And it, it I think it does get uh, better projects as a result. And do you have a sense, do developers now see you and the land use committee and then the neighborhood council in general as an ally and as a group that they have to come through to be successful or there's still developers who pretend they didn't even know it existed and they don't even bother the the smart ones do the smart ones know that this is a process and that if they can get to a good agreement with us then that's going to make their lives with the city a lot easier yes. the best example of this uh was we voted on a project uh, proposed by Rick Caruso, the developer of The Grove, uh, who wanted to build a very tall apartment building right near the Beverly Center. Oh, that's right. And that uh, like triangle strip of land kind right. of right. Yeah, there were a lot of it. weird things about that particular lot. Um, but he was not required to put in any low-income units. And the original project was not – didn't have as many street-level amenities like bike share. And it was a two-year process. It actually started before I came on the committee. Two-year process going back and forth with them, explaining what we wanted to see, explaining how we thought we could, they could make it better. And the final project really was better. It had low-income units. It had bike share. It had a beautiful streetscape. And, you know, I think that'll make their lives with the city much easier. Yeah. Um, you're a big hockey fan. Is that right? I am. And your hometown team is who exactly? The Nashville Predators. That's what I thought. And hockey season's starting up. How did the Predators do last year? Oh, did you have to? <laughs> we we were robbed. Checking. We were robbed I'm out of the checking. Stanley Cup. <laughs> what are the uh, forecasters saying about the outlook this year? I think uh, we've got a really good shot at it. Um, certainly a better shot at it than the Titans probably do. Probably true. <laughs> I, I don't follow hockey that closely. How would you describe the relationship between Kings fans and Ducks fans. Is there like a real r rivalry there? How does I, it even work? I think they think there is. Okay. Uh, it's not, uh, I wouldn't describe it as as vicious as some of the East Coast rivalries. Although when uh, the Predators played the Ducks in the playoffs last year, all the Kings fans I knew were rooting for us. Okay. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Um, hey, listen, last thing, give us some either local or state races or maybe even something na na nationally, if I can say it. Um, to watch what kind of thing should we be keeping an eye on politically so as a southerner i'm originally from nashville tennessee there's a bunch of races uh back in my home region that i'm keeping an eye on um the alabama senate race you know obviously for democrats that is a long shot but it is worth investing in we need to force the republicans to uh to defend that seat to own the fact that they elect they voted for a theocrat who opposes the Constitution and Roy Moore. <laughs> yeah. And we have a really good candidate in Doug Jones, who has been a fighter for progressive values and racial justice his entire life. I think he has a real shot, and we need to put an investment in that. Yeah, In uh, my home state in Tennessee, uh, Bob Corker uh, finally had enough of Trump and announced he's getting out of town. We uh, will have the Republican candidate is... 
going to be well to the right of him. It is almost certainly going to be Congresswoman Marsha Blackburn. And we have a good uh, possible Democratic candidate. He's still mulling it, but hasn't officially announced in uh, the mayor of Chattanooga, Andy Burke. Do you think uh, Peyton Manning is a progressive? <laughs> Where does he fall politically? Anybody I know, know he's a Republican. That's what I thought, right? Yeah, I kept seeing his think, name banding about. I don't think like, he's getting in, although uh, Tennessee Democrats have always wanted to recruit either uh, Dolly Parton or Tim McGraw to run. <laughs> and then the is, yeah, third one I, I, that I'm keeping an eye on is uh, the Georgia governor's race. Georgia is an interesting state demographically because it is trending in favor for progressives, for Democrats. And uh, we have a chance to elect a black woman as governor in Stacey Abrams. And I'm she's a really exciting candidate and doing really great work on the ground. Nice. All good tips. And all good insight as usual. Lisa, thanks for joining us. And thanks, everyone, for listening to The Zag. You can download all previous episodes on iTunes and excitingly enough we are now in the Google Play Store and you can also hear us on SoundCloud so we are becoming a true media empire stay tuned for more episodes coming next week thanks again for listening to the zag